0: Amy Youngie is a former California public elementary middle school teacher and assistant principal. She started working with teacher-powered schools in 2009 and was a contributing author for Trusting Teachers with School Success, What Happens When Teachers Call the Shots. Today, Amy is the director of Teacher-Powered Schools, an organization started in 2014 with the goals of highlighting the successes of teacher-powered schools and inspiring other teacher teams to either take charge in their schools or design and run new schools. Amy supports educator teams across the country with teacher-powered governance, collaborative leadership, and autonomous school models. Julie Cook teaches middle school at the Saturn Charter School Collaborative, a K-8 school in Saturn, Pennsylvania. Julie joined the Saturn Charter School Collaborative in 2002, and has been instrumental in designing and sustaining a teacher-powered school with her colleagues. Saturn Charter School Collaborative's mission to change the environment of education through individualized, experiential, and community-based learning is supported by the school's innovative organizational processes and systems that empower teachers. To learn more about teacher-powered schools, please visit their website at teacherpower.org. Without further introduction, I give you Amy Youngie and Julie Cook. And I should tell you both, this is the first time I've done this with three people on the screen, so I am going to probably ask you both questions and then whichever way you want to answer it's probably i trust you to decide who might answer that better got it i guess my first question is aren't all schools teacher-led or i guess that's sort of what my some of my friends might think um so what 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 do we mean when we talk about a a teacher-led school
1: so I think that all schools originally started out as teacher-led back in a one-school classroom when teachers were making the decisions around learning program and school-level policies. As um, the education system grew, it became really a product of the industrial age, and we have now have schools that really do not look like where teachers are doing a lot of leading. Unfortunately, teachers in many places, in most places um, are being given curriculum, are being directed to do things. And so teachers as experts in the field of education are not being valued for that expertise or for their expertise in their students, in their classrooms. And so the difference between a traditional classroom, a traditional school, and a teacher-led or teacher-powered school is in a teacher-powered model, the team of teachers are able to make decisions influencing areas of school success.
0: Awesome. And, And I'd be really interested in you both maybe answering this question. When did you both discover teacher led schools at an option and where were you both in your career when you thought that sounded like a really enticing idea?
1: So I'll start and then I'll hand it over to Julie. Um, Teacher powered schools started as a research project of Education Evolving, a nonprofit in Minnesota. And what we were interested in studying is what happens when teachers control their work. And so we looked at public schools in the district and charter settings where they were teacher-led. Um, we didn't use the language of teacher power then, but um, they were look, they were basically teacher-led schools. And we were looking at, do these schools emulate high-performing organizations? And so the literature review we did was on, what are the characteristics of high-performing organizations? And we took that information and then visited and interviewed and analyzed um, schools that were using this kind of governance model of teacher-led or shared leadership and found that, yes, overwhelmingly teacher-led schools do emulate high-performing organizations. And so what became teacher-powered schools was really because as we were doing the research, we realized that these schools were not getting a lot of support in school governance or decision making. They were getting a lot of support in curriculum and learning program in school discipline or restorative practices and SEL. And they needed support in collaborative leadership in shared decision-making in what it meant to be a teacher-led school. And so we created teacher-powered schools as a support system for that. And Julie's school, um, I'll let her talk about that, her own school in a minute, is one of the great examples of teacher-led schools um, in America.
0: Julie, before we jump over to you, I'm, I'm curious, Amy, about some of those organizations that you looked into during your research that you sort of thought of as the lodestar of high-performing organizations.
1: So we looked at um, organizations really outside the education field. So we looked at law um, firms who use like a partnership model. We used, looked at medical practices also mm-hmm. where doctors form, you know, a clinic or an office, but they make decisions not just for their patients. They make collective decisions impacting um, their practice. Um, there are some orchestras that use a very um, flat leadership structure, and it's been well
2: studied. And so we looked at the research surrounding
1: that.
0: Awesome, Julie.
2: Okay, so so I work at the Satterton Charter School Collaborative, which is in Montgomery County, um, outside of Philadelphia. And I I think we were a teacher-powered school and didn't know it (laughs) for quite some time. Uh, So as Amy described, there was this this real movement um, that has really taken hold. Um, There are many, many teacher-powered, identified teacher-powered schools in the country, um, hundreds really. Uh, But at the time, um, our school opened in the year 2000. Uh, We're one of the oldest uh, brick and mortar charter schools in Pennsylvania, and we are one of the Highest-performing schools, public district or public charter schools, in in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, but we had dreams when we first launched the school. Our founder had a dream. She was actually coming from the business world, and she looked at schools and wondered, how do teachers do it? You know, working in silos. Schools are in silos. Teachers are in silos. And there's no time throughout the day to really talk to one another and collaborate and advance the school forward. So that was one of her really early ideas. Um, And as she met and the movement to start my school grew, we really thought about how to create a flatter organization uh, with shared or distributed or collaborative leadership. And uh, we were in existence um, up until about six years ago, until we met up with some teacher powered uh, schools and really that has really launched our leadership practices uh, forward. Uh, so we knew we were a collaborative leadership school, but really how to do that, um, how to pull it off, how to sustain and advance our leadership practices has definitely, you know, found some nuance and some advancement um, along the years. We've we've grown in a lot of different ways. So um, that's basically our story. Um, having been named a teacher-powered school, we're now part of, you know, this whole network where other people can share their practices.
0: Hmm. Flat organization keeps coming up. Could we maybe just spell out exactly what that means and maybe what the opposite of that would be?
2: Sure. Oh. Go ahead, Julie, you can say. <laughs> well, I think um, it, it may be difficult for people to imagine um, but I think um schools are very hierarchical you know there's you know state um but there's national there's state and um, then there's district mandates that are coming down um and I'm I'm certain that most teachers in traditional schools anyway um feel as if they're at the end of this, you know, kind of deluge of mandates and they're responsible for the, for implementing other people's ideas. Uh, So there are mandates from the district office, from department heads, from curriculum coordinators, um, as many um, district office personnel as you can think of, Um, but the teachers are really um, not, in all cases, responsible for that generation of the curriculum, just at the very base level. Um, other ways that teachers do not have autonomy um, may be in hiring. So even if it's your own team member, um, it's still outside of your purview to hire your teammates. Um, curriculum, scheduling, um, how we are going to, you know, teach the children in order to, you um, you know, meet our community's needs. Uh, All of that is really left to uh, other people and teachers are responsible for implementing and accountable for the results of other people's decisions. And I think that is the case and the experience of many, many teachers in more traditional hierarchical schools.
0: Amy, did you have something to add to that or?
2: Yeah, I would say that
1: flat, um, maybe flatter. Some, there are some teacher-powered schools that use a very flat governance structure. Um, they tend to be very small. Most of our schools use what I would say is a more distributed leadership structure, um, and most of our schools do have administrators. Um, the role of the principal is reimagined at a teacher-powered school, where they are... Um, one voice on their team and a leader on their team but they're not holding veto power they're not um, requiring things to be implemented that are outside of what the team has decided they're more Mm -hmm. acting as a way to protect what the team has co-created and um, around their shared purpose their mission their vision their values their goals and a principle in that case is is making decisions, doing administrative tasks, um, all grounded in the same values that the team has. And it doesn't mean that every decision is going before every member of a team, but that decisions that the principal is being held accountable by the team for what they are creating at the school site.
0: This is going to maybe feel like it's coming out of left field, but I've been doing some reading on greek history and it's been really interesting thinking about school governance as it relates to political philosophy and the theories of different philosophical governances and and maybe more specifically thinking about democracy and there have been really famous critics of democracy like socrates for example when you were looking at high performing organizations I think Socrates, if I remember this correctly, was really afraid of the power of the crowd sort of swaying decisions. And while we should be really afraid of a tyrant, we should also be sort of fearful of the madness of crowd. When you were looking at those organizations, I'd be really curious to ask Amy about this in her research and Julie about this in her her experience. What were some mechanisms that you sort of stumbled upon that maybe helped the crowd sort of... um, avoid madness and sort of sway towards wisdom. If that's not too long of a question.
1: No, I, I think that the tie in with democracy is important. Hmm. Um it, it, it isn't a mob mentality that's ruling a that's school. Right. I, I mean, I think that that's kind of getting at what you're asking, right? It is professional educators with training and experience who come together have already you know, done the work to create what type of school they want to have to serve the community that they're in. And that's going to look different. Some schools are art schools and some schools are focused on, you know, project-based learning. And it's really about the students and the families and the community in which they serve. And so there is a commitment from these educators that they're going to make decisions that are best for the students at their school site. I would say that the structures in place, um, you know, where are decisions made, how are they made, what are the pathways of accountability, what are the tools that they use, and what we would call teacher-powered practices, what are it's kind of the, the how of how this is done, you know, that there's transparency, that they we keep students at the center of decision making, that we embrace a learner mindset, that we have shared leadership structures that um, we meaningfully involve families and communities. And so those practices and structures together create a system that is democratic and um, values student and teacher agency voice and choice. Um and I think guards against what you're referring to as kind of the risks of the mob or the crowd. Sure.
2: Well, and I could say from you know being a participant in a collaborative leadership school, you know, I don't experience it as part of a mob, but I I and I, I would say that the dangers of you know it's been also well documented in. You know, you see all these movies about you know the great hero swooping in, um, this charismatic leader, and that's a fallacy. Um, it doesn't last. It doesn't, la- you know, make it um, in in most schools. So, and I would also say, you know, our our children are watching us. Here we are, um, trying to live in a democracy um, uh, and having a democratic shared leadership model. Um, our students are participating in that as well. So if our goal is is lofty, right? We wanna have engaged citizens who can participate in our grand experience um, and experiment called America, then we should have more democracy, more voice and choice, uh, more people, more voices around the table, more civil discourse. So I would say that that is a pretty lofty goal, but Mm -hmm. I think most um, teacher-powered schools really hold that to heart that the community is at the center. Um, and that's not to say any of this is easy. Um, I think there's a lot of work that goes into how do you build the capacity of people in order to participate in collaborative governance or leadership, right? So um, how, how do we talk to one another? What, what are our norms? Um, who's How can we make it more transparent um, so that we know um, and we've delegated certain work to other people, the reporting back to the group, but there's systems and processes in place for those decisions. Uh, it's not just, hey, we're gonna all you know sit around a table and make decisions. There are processes in place to again guard against one person monopolizing that conversation for an hour. Um, there are processes, the systems, structures in place so that we don't get mired um in the minutiae of, you know tiny little things that really a committee could um, handle. So I think whatever you're picturing that might be difficult, it is challenging, um, but it's not, um, it it is worth it. And it's not impossible to overcome. And I think um, most people who work in a teacher-powered school uh, would describe it as challenging, but also incredibly rewarding.
0: Hmm. This is open to Julie or Amy. Can you give me an example of some of those processes or some of those decision making tools um, that or I forget what the other word was that you used, but some of those processes that you use to, to make decisions as a group? Protocols, maybe?
2: Uh, sure. You know, I think, well, every teacher-powered school is going to handle this you know, differently for sure.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, in my particular, I can only share mine, um, but I know that other schools handle this much differently. In our school, we call it the five strands of leadership, and really, it's it's work by a committee. Or a, in some schools, they're called you know PLCs or something like that. Uh, it doesn't matter what the the term is, but in our school, you know, we think about you know. The gifts that we bring to the table. So some people are really good at navigating like school management, you know, like facility and budget, um, district and state liaison work and compliance or something like that, you know, Um, others might be really more invested in instructional coordination, like data analysis or specialist coordination, or whatever it could be. Um, others could be working on PD or community engagement or initiatives, and those are our five. <laughs> um, and in in there, we also have how do we make whole school decisions, and there are processes for those. So you know, how do we take a vote around a table? There's a process for that. Um, how do we bring an initiative to the entire group Um, so we have shared documents and very clear processes and group norms for you know how do we conduct ourselves within those those meetings and those subcommittees as well I don't know if that helps but
0: (laughs) it does it's fascinating to picture Amy you can add on if, if you had something or I'm happy to move on to the next question
1: I think to Julie's point that each team has to decide what works best for their team. And part of that is about their personalities or their strengths. Um, It's also about the size of the school and the the amount of scheduling autonomy they have in order to have collaborative time together. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say that all teacher powered schools have practices, procedures, and structures in place to Mm -hmm. ensure that they are working effectively and efficiently. Um, Of course, it's all a work in progress, um, but those are, we document those as, and share those with others so that they can, you know, learn from each
0: other. That, that's a fact, you raise a fascinating point. How do you track the progress of, of a decision-making process? How do you decide if, if the school's decision-making processes are, are effective?
1: So it's not, we as an organization don't, you know, assess their decision-making quality. We do have a set of self-evaluations for teams that they can use. We call it a teacher Power team survey, of which each member of the school, so each staff member, takes the assessment. It's a reflection tool. And in this, there are Um, assessing the collective team so they're not assessing themselves but rather their team and they're asking they're being asked questions on how well do you use how well is transparency used at your school site how well do you share power with families and communities how well do you use shared leadership structures and so they you know this is available for them to take annually and then they can Use we send them that data for them to have professional development around where they can identify practices that they're doing well in, practices that they might need to improve on, um, practices that maybe they want to work with a sister school on. And so, because they're both tackling that those challenges, or and then they're also asked questions on how effective efficiently are our meetings run. You know, no one wants to be at a meeting till seven o'clock at night, and so you know it's important that there are items in place to keep limits on everyone's time and respect that so those tools are
2: available for teams
0: and i'm assuming could it are there i mean how much is prescribed or is it totally up to the to each school site it's, to decide? it's
1: completely up to each school site none of it is prescribed
0: interesting So they could become, as you sort of alluded to earlier, more flat or less flat, depending on what the group decides.
1: And that's partly what's available to them in their local context, whether that's chartering or um, we call them autonomy arrangements. So do they live in a place where there's pilot schools or maybe it's an innovation zone from the state or maybe it's through chartering? Um, There's a wide variety of ways that teams can have collective autonomy And then we look at 15 different areas where teams could potentially have autonomy. So whether it's kind of um, learning program autonomies or personnel autonomies or administrative autonomies, and it's really up to the team to decide what's available to them and which ones they want to take on.
0: Interesting. It's so fascinating. Julie mentioned earlier, this sort of American experiment. And of course, this feels like an experiment within the experiment. How long has this experiment been going on? I, th- I think you might have said earlier.
1: So, I mean, I do think that teacher-led schools have been around since the beginning of schooling, you know, sure. but it turns out that most of them were very small. Um we can trace teacher-powered schools back to the 1970s, Um, I believe is, you know, the those that have been around the longest. So, 50 years. Um, The, our research project started in 2009 and it's since 2014 that we have formally been uh, teacher powered schools as an organization.
0: And Julie, can, can you repeat? I'm not sure if you said this already. Can you tell me again, possibly when you started being a teacher leader at this school or when you even started with this school?
2: So our school opened in 2000, and I came the January of the next year, so 2002, um, and I've been there for the duration. And I think that's actually an important point about teacher-powered schools is, you know, here we are in the middle of a, in some places, you know, a teacher shortage, an administrator shortage. People seem to be, you know, there's a lot of turnover in schools, um, and that's a nationwide conversation right now. And... I definitely think that being at a teacher-powered school is one reason why I've stayed. Um, So, um, having been afforded lots of different opportunities to lead from the classroom, I continue to find joy in the work and be. I'm able to stretch myself in many, many different ways. And this is a long-winded answer for you, but um, yeah. So, I've been there since 2002 and um, have no plans to leave anytime soon.
0: Since you've become a teacher leader or the school itself has become a teacher-powered school, I'm really curious if you can talk to any of the sort of high watermarks of um, maybe your excitement in making decisions as a group. Were there any decisions that you remember being really pivotal and standing out as like, wow, what a unique opportunity to to have been able to make this decision as a group, as opposed to maybe what the alternative might have been in the past?
2: Well, I definitely think having a say in hiring um, being on a hiring committee changes everything, um, because we're looking for people who are both like minded who want to work in this environment, because not everyone does. Um, this isn't for everyone. Um, but I also think um, being able to hire someone who is very different than I am as well uh, to help service the kids who are on my team. So looking for like complementary, and I know what that looks like right so I think that's that's one way. Um, I think most teachers would agree that being able to write your own curriculum is invaluable. Just that alone um, would keep me excited for the rest of my career, uh, because the world is wide open if I'm able to constantly be in that. You know, what do my kids need? What are we all excited about? What are my families excited about? And um, that's generation. That's not implementation of you know someone else's programming. Um, so that's exciting. Um, I also think. You know, we've had a chance to really reinvent our organization over and over again uh, with how can we make it better, more efficient, more streamlined, um, more inclusive, more voices at the table. So we always say, you know, I don't want to um, be invited to the table. I want to set the table. (laughs) So we are pretty jazzed up about that. You know, it's an exciting place to work um, when we see that something is off. You know, we have these design teams; we call them to sort of tackle challenges. That's a really exciting place to work when you have some agency over how you can make the organization better. Um, Things aren't happening to us, Uh, so it's just a completely different mindset than how some people um, experience school. Uh, So I I don't know if that I can go on, but that's that's in the crux of it is. It's you're in constant generation design mode, which is thrilling for most people who work at my school. (laughs) So I think that's what they would say as well. Um, But I can see that not everyone has that picture in their mind of what a teacher is responsible for. Mm. Uh, So a lot of people have spent a lot of time, you know, rethinking school and other people have spent a lot of time redoing school the way we've always done it. Uh, so I think there might be two camps out there, maybe 90 camps. I'm not sure, but at least those two.
0: <laughs> That's fascinating. Do you mind giving me an example of something one of your design teams has maybe had to think about recently or in recent memory?
2: Sure. Do um, you so, don't mind
0: giving us a peek under the hood?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I can share maybe two, um, you know, one would be like an initiative. Uh, so we're really interested and maybe having, like getting the world back um, to a little more norm- normalcy, um, inviting people back into our space, leaving for field work, you know, after all that's happened. Uh, so one initiative that a design team is working on is something called Space Day, um, you know, a whole K-8 adventure uh, where we are partnering with outside businesses, agencies, um, you know planetariums you know the whole of it and it's it's become quite a project and it's going to be amazing uh so that's an initiative is one thing um something also re- just to help you again peek under the hood um i think for a while we were having some challenges around you know interpersonal interactions so we had a design team really work as embedded coaches on all the different uh grade level teams to work through uh some of those challenges, you know, how do we bring things forward? And what if our ideas not isn't taken up by the group? Um, how can we, you know, remain whole and still excited when things are shot down? Um, how can we document our progress? How can we build capacity to listen um, and also bring your voice to the table? So again, working on those interpersonal reactions, um, or I'm sorry, interpersonal interactions. Um, that's something we had been working on as a design team really kind of really focusing on how are people getting along? How are we interacting with one another? Uh, is everyone equally coming to the table and how can we help people who are feeling maybe left out of the process? So in recent memory, those are two kind of exciting things because they have both worked really well. <laughs> so that's a little peek under the hood.
0: That's great, thank you when those when those design teams come together, I imagine it's because it's a pretty substantial problem. How much research or topic at the very least, how much research is sort of put into that? And what does that research typically look like? Are there moments where you sort of, in an effort to not reinvent the wheel, so to speak, you look back to those hierarchical or school organizations? Do you reach out to charter schools or districts, do you ever compare yourselves to them or try to pick their brains for how to sort of solve a similar problem? So I guess to, to return you to the, the root of the question, what does research look like in those design teams and where do you sort of go to look for, for answers?
2: I see. Um, well, I think um, our school faculty has a number of expert teases, um, where we can rely on these people. Nine of us out of 35 teachers are instructional coaches, so that's super important to have that instructional coach background. We rely heavily on our networks, including the teacher-powered school network, of course, so absolutely we look at how do other people do it. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We can look at other schools, how do they, you know, take a vote quickly. Uh, We look to Avalon in Minnesota for that. Um, How do people design an agenda that is aligned with their mission. We look to Woods Learning Center in Casper, Wyoming for that. Uh, So a lot of the things that we have adopted or invented, we've sort of copied and molded to our own use um, by looking at other schools that are like-minded. And of course, not every school is teacher powered. We're constantly visiting schools. We're constantly you know, going to conferences and trying to expand what we know to be true about what school can look like. Uh, so I think that's also the case that we have this action research kind of mentality uh, where our whole school, uh, we look at all the different facets, those five strands of leadership, and we're constantly looking at what's happening, what can get better, and can we reflect? Um, let's put something, we, always, we have a saying in our school, like let's fail fast, um, let's find something, um, let's put something out there. Uh, we're light, we're limber, and we can just implement new things all the time based on this action research, uh, cyclical kind of investigation. So of course we're looking at other models because we don't have all the answers and it moves us forward faster
0: i was speaking with a ed researcher at harvard his name is michael horn recently we were joking because one of the first pieces of advice i got at a charter school in training was kevin we don't experiment with children and i remember thinking well you know it's such a it feels like such a cheap argument because of course it's so salient like yeah of course who's going to say we experiment with the kids and yet so much of what we do especially as a at the time, I think I was in my third or fourth year teaching and felt like everything I was doing was an experiment. So it's interesting to hear that let's fail fast thing is is really resonant. That's interesting. Amy, I'm really interested thinking about this dynamic between all the experimentation that's going on in each school, but then this forming a network and you, of course, being at the headquarters of that network in, in California. What what are the priorities of that headquarters? And I know that's a huge question, but are you More thinking about the maintenance of those schools, or are you thinking about, I mean, it sounds like there was a lot of research at the beginning. How much of you and headquarters is still interested in research?
1: So, I mean, it's all through a nonprofit and a lens Mm -hmm. of service. I would say that the teacher-powered schools network is led by um, our team of 15 ambassadors who do teacher-powered work in every day in their schools. And so they set the mission, vision, goals for what they want. Um, Under that vision, they have set um, increasing the number of schools in the teacher-powered world or, or where. Teacher-powered is an option for teachers um, to work for. So the goal is and the vision is in 30 years, it will be available for teachers that want to work in a teacher-powered model. What that means is that we're both supporting new teams or teams that are transitioning to a teacher-powered model and that we are also um, supporting and, you know, Teacher-powered is always in rough draft. They're always, every year you have new teachers, you have new students, you have to kind of reevaluate your systems. And so we're supporting teams and doing that work as well, as well as um, growing proof of concept and encouraging other teams to learn from these models, whether they take on a full teacher-powered model or not, that they are, there are parts of the practices that they could learn and that would improve all schools.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I'm aware of the time and also aware of my dying battery. If someone were considering, if a, if a young teacher or any teacher was considering a teacher-powered school, what would you encourage them to reflect on about themselves and about where they want to work if they're considering a teacher-powered school?
2: Well, <laughs> you know, I think it's what you're expecting out of your career. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I think the hard part about working at a teacher powered school is that idea that, you know, it's, it is generative, like you you are constantly in idea mode, we're constantly collaborating. Um, there's a lot of conversation in my school. Um, not everyone is expecting to work in that kind of dynamic environment. Um, so I would do a little reflection. Um, you know, am I, you don't have to be an extrovert, by the way, you can be an introvert, um, but are you really all in or are you hoping for like the manual to come down um, and, you know, and your your world becomes a little smaller and maybe a little more manageable, right? Um, so I, I would say do some reflection and then basically I would say give it a try, go uh, observe um, in a teacher powered school, uh, see what it looks like. Um, can you picture yourself really uh working with a team and the team approach? I think that would be central.
0: Awesome. Amy, Amy, any last words before I sign us off here? No pressure.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think almost anyone in education agrees that a this the system is not sustainable. I mean, just look at teacher retention rates and that the outcomes both for adults and for students is lacking. And so we there's agreement that the system isn't working. What there isn't agreement is is how to fix the system. Uh, and I would say that teacher there isn't one answer and there's hundreds thousands of answers because there are hundreds and thousands of different types of schools and students and communities and when we Mandate that all schools look the same, that hasn't worked. And so we really need to trust the educator experts and have these train educators to work in partnership with families and students to design and lead schools that serve the communities and prepare students to be, you know, educated for their next path, whatever that may be, and to be productive citizens in our nation. Um, that's going to look the pathways for that. There are many pathways. And we would say that Teacher Powered is one of those pathways. And thank you for having us and letting us share a little bit about Teacher Powered today.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm so encouraged by the work you're both doing. It's I didn't know it was out there. I spoke to a guy at UPenn, a Professor Um blanking on his first name, but Dr. Ingersoll. And he he was really encouraged by the work you were doing and pointed me in your direction. So Thank you very much for your time. And Julie, I'm right down the road, so I think I'll be reaching out. I would love to observe your school. It sounds very interesting.
2: Absolutely, standing invitation.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you both. I'm going to cut the recording and then I'll say goodbye on the other side of it.